Some lessons are harder to preach than others. And this morning, I find this lesson incredibly challenging to bring to you for a couple of reasons. One, as I think back to the last decade and a half that I've spent in full-time ministry, I feel like I have failed at what we're going to talk about this morning so miserably, and I have missed the point so very much. And secondly, I find it challenging because I don't have all of the answers. And I know that as we talk about what we're going to talk about this morning, that in many ways it'll raise more questions than it will answer. But I know that it is incredibly, incredibly essential that as we talk about this idea of restoration and getting back to doing Bible things in Bible ways, as we talk about, as we did last week, about the fact that when when you set something in motion, when you set something up, it has the tendency to devolve and regress and kind of go away from being what it was. It has the tendency to drift. We talked about G.K. Chesterton. If you, if you paint a fence post white and you do nothing and you just leave it alone, eventually it won't be a white fence post anymore, will it? It'll change. If you want it to stay white, you have to continually be changing it back to what it was supposed to be in the beginning. And so as we begin to talk about this and as we continue this series, what we're going to say this morning is at the very heart of that. But it's a heart that I have missed so very often. You know, growing up in churches of Christ, occasionally, here and there, I would catch bits and pieces of people talking about the restoration movement and, and what that was and some of the people associated with it, like Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone and Raccoon, Raccoon John Smith. That's an unfortunate nickname, isn't it? Raccoon John Smith. Raccoon West McAdam. Don't, don't start calling me that. Um, and, and what it was that they were trying to accomplish. And most of the time, as we would talk about the restoration movement and what that was, it was about getting back to worshiping right and understanding what the Bible taught about how to be saved. So how to get saved and how to worship and what the Bible taught on those important issues. And, and those are important issues, aren't they? In fact, over the next few weeks, those are the kinds of things we'll be talking about. But what I missed... In that conversation, what was never really presented to me was that those men who kind of started that that motion and that movement, those men that were concerned about getting back to doing things in biblical ways, they did so because they, they were tired of the division. They were seeking unity. They, they, they were tired of the fact that extra biblical traditions and ideas and doctrines and things that we just kind of pile on Christianity, that it, it builds walls in between us. And they were tired of the, the conflict. They were tired of the fighting. They were tired of the division. And so they wanted to do away with those extra biblical things with the goal of once we get back to just just being Christians, not this kind of Christian and that kind of Christian, attaching all kinds of names and drawing all kinds of lines. Once we just get back to being Christians, then we can unify around Jesus. See, unity was at the heart of that movement because unity is at the heart of Jesus. 
Unity is at the heart of the gospel. Unity is, a, is at the heart of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But that's something that I have, have sorely missed. I want to read you a quote because, not because Thomas Campbell was inspired or anything like that, but because I, I want us to understand what it is to get back to restoring things. Thomas Campbell once said, Division among the Christians is a horrid evil fraught with many evils. It is anti-Christian as it destroys the visible unity of the body of Christ. As if he were divided against himself, excluding and excommunicating a part of himself, it's anti-scriptural as being strictly prohibited by his sovereign authority, a direct violation of his express command. It is anti-natural as it excites Christians to condemn and hate and oppose one another who are bound by the highest and most endearing obligations to love each other as brethren, even as Christ has loved them. In a word, it is productive of confusion and of every evil work. See, but unity was never really high on my priority list. I I wanted to do biblical things in biblical ways because I, I had this idea that I would rather be right by myself than wrong with you. See what I'm saying? I, if the lightning's going to strike you, I want it to strike you and not me. And so I want to get as far away from you as I can. If you're wrong, you just be wrong over there and I'll be right over here. Rather than striving to be together and one. You see, here's something that I, I, I missed is that oneness is the point. And we have to be passionate about oneness. We have to be eager to be one and be unified. And so we have to, if we're going to talk about restoring things and getting back to doing Bible things in Bible ways, we have to restore this passion, this enthusiasm, this eagerness for oneness. And I say restore because I think, again, it's really easy for us to get off track and to kind of drift apart. And there may not be anything that I can do. I can't force you to be one with me. I can't force anybody to to be one with one another, but I I can make sure that I'm eager for that oneness and that I'm striving for that oneness and that I'm passionate about that oneness. But there may be some of us, I know because I have been this way, there may be some of us that are apathetic about unity, right? and, And that needs restoration, doesn't it? That needs changing. If we have this idea and this feeling like, you know, whatever. I mean, you just do your thing. I'll do my thing. You think that way. I'll think this way. You be over there. I'll be over here. I'll draw a line. You just kind of be separate from me. And we just kind of become apathetic about things. Or, or maybe there are some of us that have a fear of unity. And anytime we start talking about unity, because it is kind of a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, when you really listen to what Paul said about unity and you read what he said in 1 Corinthians and Romans, and you understand that he said crazy things like, if your meat, if you eating meat causes your brother to stumble, then you need to give up your rights. He said, I would rather not eat meat. If meat is causing my brother to sin and stumble, then I'll give up eating meat if I have to so that we can be one. And that's a scary thing, isn't it? To start to ask, what, what might I have to give up? What might I have to change? This is my right, and I like this, and I want things this way, and I've always done things this way, but in order for us to be one, I may have to give up and sacrifice my, my rights. That needs restoration, doesn't it? 
We need to get over and fix that brokenness that leads to fear. And, and some of us may have a distrust about unity. And anytime this kind of discussion about unity comes up, we get a little bit uneasy and we think, well, what are you kind of, what are you trying to say there, preacher? We, we start thinking maybe we're talking about compromise and maybe we have to compromise what's true. Listen, church, you, you can't compromise what's true to achieve unity because it's what is true that is going to bring us together. You, you don't sacrifice truth for the sake of unity, but you do have to sacrifice dogmatism about opinions. We cannot be dogmatic about our opinions and the things that we've kind of piled on. Those are the things that if they're dividing us and separating us, those are the things that have to go, but we can't compromise on truth. And again, as I've read through the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament has become incredibly obvious to me, and although I've missed it for so long, that unity is the point. Oneness is the point. See, that's not what we tend to, tend to think, is it? We think that the point is forgiveness. You know, I get forgiven, and I get saved, and I go to heaven. That's the point. No. No, oneness is the point. Forgiveness is the means. You see, you were saved and forgiven. Your sins were washed away. If you're a Christian, you've been baptized into Jesus, your sins were washed away so that you could be one with God and with each other. And listen, as you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, I hope we do that sometimes, and we listen to what they were saying about the coming Messiah, what they were saying about what life was going to be like in the Messiah's kingdom, this is what it was all about. Isaiah said things like this. He said, something's, something's going to happen in Jerusalem. Something's going to happen in Jerusalem, and it's going to cause all the nations to flow into it. Many peoples shall come. Right, just get a picture that in your mind. Just picture this holy city, this hub where all the nations of the world, I mean, picture it in your mind. They're, they're dressed different and they look different and they speak different languages. They're, they're from different countries and different nations. They have different skin colors and they speak different languages. They have different traditions and different cultures, but they're all coming to the city. They're all coming into the kingdom of God under his rule and reign, so that they can be one under the, the kingship of the Messiah. See, that's what it was all about. It was all about when the Messiah comes, all the nations of the world will come and be a part of his kingdom, his family, his nation, his body. Jeremiah said this, he said, at that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it. Both Israel and Judah, they'll come back together and all nations will be gathered into one nation. The prophet Zechariah said, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. He says that 10 men from every nation and every tongue, all of these different people wearing different clothes and speaking different languages, they're Gentiles They'll, they'll come up to a Jew and they'll grab hold of his cloak and they say, we want to go with you because we hear that God is with you. And church, that, that's who we are, isn't it? I mean, look around. I'm not a, I'm not a Jew. I'm descended from Native Americans and Europeans, but I'm not, I'm not Jewish. Probably most of y'all aren't either. We're, we're Gentiles and we, we look different and we're from different 
genealogies, different families, different cultures, and we've, we've come and we've grabbed hold of the cloak of a Jew, of Jesus, and of the apostles, and we've said, we want to go with you because we hear that God is with you, and all different nations have come together, and that's what the church is, and that's what the church is supposed to be, is many becoming one, a diversity becoming a unity. What else could do that except the good news of Jesus? What else could do that except the Spirit of God? Who else could do that but the Lord could bring different people together? But, but if, if we're not, if we don't look like that, and we don't realize that's the point, that's the goal, your forgiveness and my forgiveness was the means to the end of making us one and bringing us together with God and with each other. And if we miss that and we go back to acting like mere humans and we go back to acting like people were before and drawing lines where God hasn't drawn lines and saying, that's you, that's you people and you kind of people and this is me kind of people and you kind of go over there and do your thing and I'll come over here and do my thing. If we're not eager and passionate about unity and oneness, we are missing the point. And then as we get into the New Testament, the revelation of John in the very end of the Bible, as they're worshiping the Lamb who is worthy to open the seals, says in chapter 5, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And listen to this, and by your blood... By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Church, that is the point. And, and if we're going to talk about we, we need to worship right and we need to pray right and we need to have a right understanding of baptism and I couldn't agree with that more, then, then we have to keep this at the very heart of it, don't we? That the point of the gospel is that God is unifying humanity into his family. So let's look at, at what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, because this is incredibly powerful and incredibly relevant in, in your life group here in just a little bit. And I hope you all have a life group to go to, because that's, that's why we do that is for the sake of unity, isn't it? So you can come together with these other families and discuss, talk about what it is to be Christians and how we can be even more unified with each other. And you're going to talk about John 17 and about Jesus' prayer but I want you to listen to Jesus' Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 and verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. You see, prior to Jesus, you had two groups of people. You had the circumcised, they were God's people, sealed, God's people, the law and the covenant and the promises. This is us. And then you had the them. You had everybody else who was the uncircumcised, the nations, the Gentiles, those who were outside. We got the people that are inside and the people that are outside. And he says that, that was you. And, and that was, that was you. And that was me. That was us. We were the uncircumcision, the, the, the others, the nations, the Gentiles. 
He says, at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then verse 13, I I love verses that start with but. This This is the way things were, but now, but because of Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, all of us, and you might think back to your life individually of what you've done and things you've said and places you've been and how far away from God you were at one time, but that was true of all of us. We were all separated. We were all way off and cut off from God, but because of Jesus, now there is no us and them. Now there are no people that are alienated because they're not from the right tribe and they're not from the right family or not from the right race. Now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, that's that's the point of the blood of Christ. It's not just your own personal salvation and your own personal grace and your own personal forgiveness. It is that, but that was a means to the end of bringing you together with God's whole family. That was a means to the end of uniting you with God and with his people. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Our peace between us and God, but more specifically in this passage, our peace between us and each other, who has made us both, both groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, What's the word? He has made us both one. Oneness is the point. He's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Do you see what a, what a beautiful plan it was for God to bring together every tribe and nation and language, everybody into one big family, into one big community, into one big nation, into one big kingdom, and to take away the hostility that is between people. That's, that's our biggest problem, isn't it? We hate each other and we fight each other and we hurt each other and we kill each other as human beings. And we see each other as being other. And and you're that kind of a person and I'm this kind of person and there's this wall in between us. And Paul said there was this wall between Jews and Gentiles, but Jesus has destroyed it and taken it away. He's forgiven you and atoned for your sins through his blood so that you could be brought near. Not just brought near to God, but brought near with all of his people. You see, Jesus Jesus and the church is a package deal. You you can't have one without the other. I know sometimes you'd like that, would you? Sometimes it'd be nice, just me and Jesus, that's all I need. It's a package deal. When Jesus saved you, he saved you so that you could be a part of a unified group of people. So that there wouldn't be two, now there would be one. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to one God 
or to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Do you see? Oneness. Oneness with God and oneness with each other, that's the point. Forgiveness is the means. And the goal, the end goal is oneness. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentile, and peace to those who were near, the Jew. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We're all part of the same family. I mean, before the Jew could say, well, listen, I'm circumcised, I'm part of God's family, I'm part of the in crowd, I'm, you know, if you want to be, if you want to be part of God's family, you've got to be circumcised and keep the law just like me, you've got to become a Jew in your culture, in your language, you've got to do things in a Jewish kind of way, you've got to become a proselyte, and, and Paul's saying, no, no more of that, no more of us and them, that wall of hostility is torn down. And church, how often do we continue to put walls back up? How often do we continue to draw lines and put walls up and listen to our culture and do things as our culture does and divide from one another? Don't we see that's working against the plans of God? The plans of God are for humanity to be unified in Jesus. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 19. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So God has has a family, and all of us that are in Jesus are part of that one family. God only has, has one family, and that oneness is his goal. And then he kind of changes metaphors and talks about the house as in not just a family, but like a physical structure built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That is, built on their preaching and teaching with Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom this whole structure, it's like you're a brick and I'm a brick. You're a stone and I'm a stone. God cleans you up and carved you just perfectly and right and God carved me and then he put us together. You can't just be a stone out there all by yourself. The goal is for you to get carved and put right where you need to be so that you can be a part of this whole structure being joined together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, that's that's the whole point, is that all of these individuals might become this one body so that God himself can dwell in them through the Spirit. And again, who else could do that but the Lord? Who else could accomplish such a thing than the Spirit of God bringing us together? You can't create unity. I mean, when we try to create unity, it's so shallow, isn't it? We say, okay, well, what do you like to do? Well, I like football. Well, I don't like football very much. Where where do you like to eat? Well, I like this kind of food, and I like that kind of food. What language do you speak? I mean, we, we try to build unity on such shallow levels, but Jesus changes us to our very core and brings us together so that this multinational, multi-ethnic, all different backgrounds, all different traditions, all of us could come together and be one structure, one body where he himself could dwell in us by his spirit. And as Jesus prays in John chapter 17 that you'll talk about in life group, 
Jesus says that our unity is a testimony to his deity. Our unity is a testimony to his lordship. Who else could accomplish such a thing in bringing the nations together? Who else could accomplish such a thing than bringing the races together? Who else could accomplish such a thing to bring together such diverse people into one family, into one body, You see, Paul lays all that out in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And that's kind of how Paul works. He builds this theological foundation. He said, this is what Jesus is doing. And this is what his goal is. And this is what you're a part of. You're a part of something huge, something epic, something global. And then he brings it down to the individual. He says, okay, since all that's true, here's how you apply that. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, therefore, based on all of that, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You, you've been called to something huge, to be a part of something, of what God is doing in the world. And you have to examine yourself and watch yourself and make sure that you're living and walking in a way that's worthy of that calling. And here's how you do that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And there's a lot of things I don't, I don't know. It's a complicated thing, isn't it? When you talk about whether it be on a congregational level or on a local level or a national level or global level, to say, how do we... How do we get along? It certainly doesn't mean that we don't voice our disagreements with each other. It doesn't mean we don't look at somebody. You may have to look at me and say, Wes, what you said was wrong that time, and we have to study it out, and we have to get on the same page, and we have to work together. I mean, Paul certainly had to tell people sometimes they're wrong, and they need to change what they're doing. So being unified doesn't mean that we don't correct each other and teach each other and admonish each other. And there's a lot I can't answer, but... Here's what it has to look like. It has to look like humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with each other in love, where we have this kind of tenacious bond that we say, listen, I may not like what you say all the time, or I don't may may not like what you do all the time, but we're going to figure out a way for this relationship to work because Jesus put us in a relationship with each other. that's one of the things I love about this congregation is that we, we have such great unity here. And there's not this pushing and pulling and tugging and going in two different directions. But we have to be intentional about maintaining that, don't we? Because we didn't create this unity. But we can sure enough break it. We have to maintain it. And we have to maintain it through bearing with each other in love. And that means I may not always say things that you like, and I might say something that's wrong, and you might say something that's wrong, but we figure out a way to work it out and stay together because Jesus put us in this relationship. We're family because of what Jesus did. We're one because of what Jesus did. And he says, he goes on to say that we must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We have to be eager. That has to be of the utmost importance to us. Making sure that we are promoting unity. Why? Because that's the whole point. 
because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Oneness is the point. And so we have to be eager to maintain that unity. And again, we may not be able to affect things on a global level or even on a statewide level, maybe not even on a metroplex level, but I'll tell you what we can do. Each and every one of us, we can hold tight to each other, can't we? And we can make sure that nothing, nothing, nothing comes between us. And even if a little disagreement starts to build a wedge in between us, we say, no, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to fix it because nothing is more important to me than my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can, we can reach out to our neighbors with the gospel, can't we? Bring them into the oneness. Bring them into the one family of God because that's God's intention. In fact, I would put it this way, that the mission of the church is to partner with God to unite humanity in Jesus. Not just to unite humanity, not just let's all get together and you know, sing a song and hold hands. I mean, but to unite humanity in Jesus. And I know we live in a culture that says, listen, you just, you have to let everybody else believe what they believe. You just let, if somebody else is of another religion, you just have to, you say, Wes, don't you know that there are Muslims and there are Buddhists and there are Hindus and there are Sikhs and there are atheists and there are agnostics? I mean, different people believe different ways. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says there is one God and one Lord. And that it's that one God's intention to unite humanity that he created into one family in Jesus. And our mission, our mission as Christians is to partner with God to partner with him in uniting humanity in Jesus. And we do that by getting along with each other right here in this room, being unified with each other and holding tight to the people that are in your life and then reaching out to our community with the good news of Jesus and helping to unite humanity in Christ. You're a part of that. You're a part of something epic, something huge, something global, something eternal, Everything that we do, even the smallest little things that we do in our life, can contribute to that. Patience, humility, gentleness, bearing with each other in love, an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You are a part of God uniting humanity in Jesus. That is our calling. And we must walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And maybe you're not a part of that oneness. Maybe you haven't yet been reconciled to God through Jesus or added to his global family. If not, the calling is yours. The invitation is yours to be baptized into Jesus. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. Listen, church, I know I say it every week that we're in this together, but that's true. That's, that's the whole point. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that's on your heart or on your mind this morning, we're your family, and we want to prove that to you. Let the shepherds, after service, pray with you in the prayer room, or right now, you have the opportunity to come forward as together we stand and sing.